0: To not another Teen Wolf podcast uh, for episode 29 of, is it 29 or is it 28? We're on 29 now. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Of 20, 29, uh, which is recapping this week's big episode, Visionary uh, 3.8 of Teen Wolf, which is the major flashback episode explaining Derek's angst and among other things. Me and Karen are here. It's about 1.30 in the morning for Karen, and she's just gotten back from... Comic Con on major delayed flights so how how
1: are you doing? Oh well technically my body thinks that it's about 11 p.m California time so I'm actually doing okay considering it's almost two o'clock. Yeah it took me like two days to get home (laughs) which was not very fun but I made it so I'm happy about that and I'm sick so I'm going to apologize in advance for my scratchy throat but Hopefully, we'll make it through the episode okay.
0: But the con experience was worth the two days' travel home and the illness?
1: Yes, it was, I mean, it was crazy, insane. I slept out on the concrete for Doctor Who and stood in lines for hours and hours, but everything was completely worth it. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah, and we will have more from you about all of the Comic Con experiences in surprise another special episode we will be putting out specifically about all of the new Teen Wolf information that came about at Comic-Con as well as Karen's personal Teen Wolf experiences but for now we're talking about Visionary so if you have any thoughts about Visionary about the episode or about what we're saying here you can always get in touch with us on our Twitter, Tumblr, email which by now you should really know the drill is N-A-T-W podcast at Twitter, uh, N-A-T-W podcast at gmail.com or not another Wolf notanotherteenwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. We may or may not have a few new listeners this week. We had a lot of new followers on the Twitter and Tumblr coming from the Comic Con coverage, from live blogging the panels, and so because of that uh, we've had our accounts go up quite a lot, so if any of those people are choosing to actually come over and listen to the podcast, which is the the main point of the accounts, that would be cool. So hello, welcome to all of you folks. What we're we're doing for season three, in case this is your first episode that you're listening to of ours, is basically just reading the short synopsis given by uh, the episode's press release and then going through all of the points that we want to talk about with the episode, as well as some of our favourite quotations from the show and why the specific lines sort of affected us. So this week's synopsis for the episode was Seeking answers, Scott, Allison, and Styles hear stories told by two unlikely narrators and discover a secret about the colour of a werewolf's eyes. It is revealed that Gerard was the one who blinded Deucalion. And so, to start off with, Karen, what were your favorite lines that you picked out from the episode?
1: My first one is from Peter, and he says, Killing an innocent takes a piece of a werewolf's soul, making it a bit darker, dimming the once brilliant yellow to a cold steel blue. And I kind of chose this quote for two reasons. One, because I I really like the line, and I like Peter's description of the eyes, calling them a brilliant yellow to a cold steel blue. I just think that's really beautiful. But also because I got, like, this major Harry Potter vibe from this, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the worst thing is that young Peter looks a lot like young Voldemort to me. Mm -hmm. And it was just really weird, but I was like like, um, okay, is this Harry Potter or Teen Wolf? But, I mean, I liked the connection there, though, and um, it just kind of made me laugh. Mm.
0: I mean, it was, like, it's actually a theory. We got, we obviously got the answer about the eye colors in this episode, like, and it is a theory that had been, it's one of the theories that have been vaguely thrown around. It wasn't the major ones that people thought, but it is, it is something that people had thought before, and I think that that it was dismissed by a lot of people as being too simple, but it was actually, yeah, quite dramatic, so, yeah.
1: (laughs) My second one was from Cora, and in this episode, I actually didn't hate her. I still don't trust her, but she was pretty funny in this episode, and basically... Styles and her are sitting there and he's thinking about what's going on in the story that Peter had just told them and stuff like that and she goes she's like, you know, you have this look on his face and he's like, What look? And she says, That kind of look that makes me want to punch you. (laughs) And I mean Styles pretty much summed it up when he was like, You are definitely Derek's sister. sister.
0: Like this is how Hale's show inquiry or or vague affection, you know, I, you know, oh, they just get angry and it's just, oh, so stupid. But, yeah, I really liked her in this episode as well, actually. I was, I'm still a bit uncertain because she seemed quite confused by the entire goings-on. Presumably she would have been quite young when this all happened. But, yeah. I mean, my first quote was, again, like a Styles and Cora moment, which is basically when they're going on about the ages, which, again, major, major, like, Confusion there, but you know, when Peter's being all cagey about werewolf ages, Styles turns to Cora and says, But look, how old are you? And she's like, 17. And he's like, And Styles goes, See, that's an answer. That's how we answer people to Peter. And I just, something about that, that's how we answer people, the phrasing of it and the delivery. I just love him. Like, I don't think this needs to be reiterated every single episode how much we love Styles. I think, that everyone knows. Like, I think that everyone, you know, the fandom's got this, you know, it's quite established that we love Styles, but (laughs) he still always manages to surprise me in a good way, like, with some sort of brilliant delivery or something like that. And just the way that he kind of said that is like a really, like, you know, it was, like, admonishing parent, sort of, to Peter, and it just made me laugh. But the other one... The second quote I picked was a a sort of non-funny one, which was actually from Talia right at the end of the episode with Derek after he's admitting to what's happened. And, you know, he says, my eyes are different, and he sort of won't open them and look at her. And she says, different but still beautiful, just like the rest of you. And I don't know if I'm really over-emotional. I don't know if I, uh, you know, have some sort of hormone imbalance or something weird. (laughs) But I started crying at this. I mean, like, not a little bit. I mean, like, sobbing right through the end credits from that because I was like, Derek, he needs his mum. He's so alone and no one cares about him. And seeing his mum look after him and stuff, it just really hurt me really, like, a lot, and I need, you know, I just feel so bad for him now, like, processing that that is, that that interaction is is Derek and him not having that and everything, and I just, I'm so sad for him. He needs his mommy so much, and can you imagine (laughs) what he would be like now if he would, like, had someone to care about him like that, like, if he had someone come back into his life and care about him like that, and it just hurt me so much, but I was, like, It was probably, aside from, I think, Victoria's death, it was, like, the worst I've ever cried in Teen Wolf. And that's, like, ridiculous because there's been, like, much worse things. Like, but it was just really, I don't know. Everyone knows that Derek needs, like, love and comforting and it was just, you know, so hard to see that.
1: Yeah, it was surprising for me this episode. There was a lot of emotional parts that... I would not have thought I would have been emotional about and I mean we'll get into this when we do our major discussion but
0: Dukealian
1: yeah. So, yeah and even oh, Ennis and I, I was know like, serious am I really like you know feeling super horrible for these people right yeah. now when you know currently they're being super jerks well, one yeah. of them's dead so that doesn't matter but I was just like, wow, you know, I mean, that's good storytelling, though, making yeah. you care about characters that you kind of have been hating for the last, you know, half a season.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, to go right into it, the episode starts straight away in the flashback of the person who we know is Derek, basically running away from hunters, and we kind of see that he, he's with another werewolf, who I think is, is Peter, and they're basically running away from hunters and hiding. And he, we sort of flash back to the present day and I can't remember, is it Cora or Peter tells him that he they hid out there for two days or something. It's not very relevant, but basically they ran away because there was a werewolf hunt going on where another beta apparently accidentally or purposely killed a hunter and they were hunting that werewolf and they, they killed him, and they they found him and killed him, and the pale beaters, which was Derek and Peter were hiding out from this and then we flash back to the present day and it looks like that they're telling this story that this story starts getting told because Derek is has gone off to hide in a you know in the woods for two days, similarly to this Cora says he didn't used to be like this uh you know when she knew him he wasn't he wasn't always like this, and Styles wants to know why he changed and Peter, who comes down and sort of interrupts in the middle of Cora and Styles's conversation, says that it was the reason that any young man changes because of a girl, so I mean to start with that entire opening uh, of Peter coming down the stairs and telling Styles that Derek was you know someone like, somewhat like Scott, what did you think of the sort of entire introduction to the episode?
1: I really liked it. I thought the chase scene in the beginning was really exciting. I like it when they start off right in the action like that. Um, Peter coming down and saying that Derek was a lot like Scott was not entirely surprising because, you know, from various things that we've heard before, maybe even before season three aired, we knew that young Derek was very, very different from current Derek. And Mm -hmm. so it's not like I was really blindsided by the fact that he was similar to Scott, but I still thought that was an interesting comparison given that Derek now is so different from Scott and you can see the frustration that Derek has with Scott sometimes. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a really great opening and I was immediately drawn into the backstory, which is always a really good thing, considering it's basically just an information dump to explain things that we've been wondering about for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot sort of set up there, in that like when the other werewolf, you know, the one that they end up killing, sort of sees them, you know, he realises that Derek is a Hale, and he kind of says it very reverentially, which does come up later, that the Hales are, you know somewhat more important than other other packs like very very revered and Cora also kind of says when they're explaining the story that werewolves are taught to hide and heal basically is what to do when the hunters find them and so apparently Derek is off doing this right now the next bit i guess before we actually start seeing you know more flashbacks about Derek's relationship was that Allison takes Scott to visit Gerard to find out what he knows about the alpha pack and Gerard forces Scott to give him pain relief in exchange for the information. So that was like very interesting in that they, Scott instantly is just like, I don't usually swear on this podcast, but he is not taking any shit. Like, he's he's very, very controlling and very powerful. And everything about his attitude is really interesting to me in that it, it almost sort of feels, felt straight away like he was different, like he had accepted that he was going to be an alpha and, or that he was an alpha, if you know what I mean. He just seemed so different to me. And also, I mean, I don't, we don't know if Gerard was just desperate for the pain relief or if he was kind of actually also secretly desperate for company or to be around Allison or to keep corrupting Allison in some way. But she was also able to play him pretty easily of her just kind of walking out and threatening to leave and him basically begging them not to.
1: Yeah. That whole exchange was really interesting. I loved seeing Scott so in control and basically, yeah, like you said, not taking any crap from anybody. And Gerard is a very very bad person and he's done some really horrible things and Scott isn't letting that slide which I think was really comforting to see because Scott does tend to forgive pretty easily yeah and you know that's not a bad thing I mean he has a huge heart and that's one of my favorite things about him but Gerard is a horrible person and it was nice to see Scott not you know backing down from that and and really holding his ground as far as Gerard goes I do sort of wonder if he did just want the company, but I think he always has a game plan. And I think him being there and getting the pain relief and just exposing allison to himself more and more and maybe even scott too he's always trying to find opportunities and ways to manipulate them and through the flashbacks we can see he's been like this for a really long time yeah and i just i don't trust him so i think every second he's on ski on screen he's scheming
0: yeah i know i agree as well and i'm wondering if like i'm wondering if with that pain relief technique if there's any risk to Scott with that if literally all he's doing is taking away pain that's one thing but if he's taking away any sickness or anything like that like if he if he you know has to process that and heal it himself if Gerard could somehow be sort of corrupting him with his sickness so I hope that's not the case
1: right Yeah, because when Scott did that, when he took the pain away, he looked like he was in pain too. So, I mean, he's definitely processing some of it. I was less worried about it affecting Scott and more worried about the fact that Gerard could possibly be healing from this and that because we see in the episode he actually stands up and goes over to the book walks over there and starts flipping through it and I'm like hmm we haven't seen him out of the wheelchair yet except right here after Scott took the pain away and that makes me really worried about maybe he's healing faster than people think he is and maybe he's just playing up the whole wheelchair thing
0: yeah no definitely I agree and I'm a bit worried Yes, yeah, got maybe naively helping, you know, again.
1: Right. And we learn, this kind of jumps ahead just a little bit, but I think mm. it's relevant here, that we learn that Gerard's cancer is cured, but he's still spewing that black liquid. Mm. And so that's really interesting. So, I mean, technically, he's not really sick anymore. I don't think he's dying, at least, but he's in a lot of pain. And I just wonder how that the poison, or whatever, is getting processed through his body, and I'm still curious if he's turning into something else, or if he's just really weak and sick.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, he got the bite, I mean, he was the Kanima, or he was starting to turn into the canema and he got the bite, but, I mean, they were able to sort of cure Jackson of being the Kanima, you know, like, they, he was the Kanima, and then, and then a werewolf, but, they gave Gerard the bite, then he became, what is he, like, he, how long was he being dosed on those mountain ash in the pills? You know, and what, what was the effect of that? Like, we still don't really know what effect the mountain ash had, like, why that was the thing that stopped him becoming a werewolf, or is it that he, what we've seen of mountain ash so far is that it seems, not only is it, like, a physical barrier like, styles created and, like, was around Deaton, it also seems to stop the wolves from transforming. Like, it seems, you know, when he, when Deaton kind of challenges Kali to sort of, you know, try something, she kind of, it's very, it was very subtle, but she kind of moved ahead, but it was almost like she tried to reach for her powers and found that she wasn't able to use them properly, like, or transform, and, Maybe that's the whole thing. Maybe his body is still trying to get the mountain ash out of its system. Right. And when it's all gone, then he'll be a werewolf. But, I, oh, you man. know, uh, maybe it won't. That, ever.
1: Could, that could be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. You said that um, that Gerard was turning into the Kanima. Did we actually get to see that because I know Matt did and I'm sure like eventually down the line Gerard would have just because he was killing innocent people too. Like that was obviously his plan and the universe would have been, you know, balancing it out. But did we actually see him start to turn?
0: Oh, I don't remember. I thought we did, but I, I don't remember now, but let's just go back a second and, Oh, sorry. Hang on. The other thing that just happened in that sort of, Introduction with Gerard and Scott and Allison was they sort of casually mentioned that a third healer was found dead right after deaton was rescued uh like you know how I asked last week what would happen if since the the trilogy like the the sacrifice trio wasn't completed apparently right after deaton was rescued they found another body, like one that had been set up, so it seemed quite suspicious that deaton had been rescued, like someone knew that he wouldn't be a successful sacrifice. So Gerard sort of hints that Deaton is behind the the sacrifices, the killing spree, and that he sort of might have staged his own kidnapping and knowing, like, that he'd survive, had a third victim ready to go as well. And Gerard kind of says to Scott that he'd be surprised how fast someone would go to get rid of someone like Deucalion. And so... Did that make you feel any more suspicious of Deaton? Because it is a bit weird that they found like a third person right after he was rescued. Like that there was a a spare one ready to go just in case.
1: <laughs> like a backup sacrifice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it didn't,
1: and maybe this is just me being naive or something, but I still really trust Deaton, and I don't think he's behind this, and, you know, maybe I'll be proved wrong, it'll be interesting to see, but I have a feeling that Deaton was more like a distraction, and that somebody obviously knows Scott well. I think that the Dirac is keeping an eye on Scott, knows who he's close to, knows what he has to do in order to get Scott like out of the picture. So I'm Mm. thinking that the Drak sort of did this to Deaton to get Scott to go after him. Mm. And while that was going on, sacrificed the real sacrifice.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they would need Scott out of the way. Like if, unless he thought that the other one was going to be any more easy to track than than the previous ones. Yeah. Uh, I think that they
1: realized that Scott's getting closer and closer to figuring out what's going on. And the Drock probably just wanted to make sure that his plans weren't ruined.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know. I, I mean, at this point it's very confusing. I mean, I was also a bit like, Gerard seems really against Deucalion, and I mean, obviously we see, we don't know what Deucalion has become, like, we know that he's kind of ruthless now, but we don't know exactly what he's become that makes him such a threat that Gerard says, you know, how far someone would go to get rid of Deucalion, or whether that's just a blatant lie on Gerard's part, like, that Deucalion isn't that big a deal compared to, you know, even though he's in an alpha pack. Because there's a lot of things that don't add up, which we will get into um, as we go through the sort of flashbacks and what everyone was like before. But, I mean, the first bit which actually kind of happened in between those two scenes with introducing Gerard was that we kind of see the start of Derek's past, which was that he meets a girl called Paige, a girl who's he's clearly quite a popular kind of a douchebag, like, arrogant teenager at school. Um, he's meant to be a sophomore, and he basically, you know, is showing off with his friends playing basketball in the hallway. It interrupts this girl's music practice. She comes out, you know, yells at him pretty much. He challenges her to, to take the basketball off him, and then she'll stop, and then he doesn't. And then he is sort of intrigued by this, you know, angry sort of pretty young girl and and follows her back to her music practice when all his friends go away and she again sort of tells him to go away and then sort of plays a bit of a game of wits with him, challenging to – he says he'll leave if he finds out her name and she sort of turns his trick back on him and says, if you can play any of the instruments in this room, I'll tell you. And he, again, douchebag, goes, looks at all the shelves, finds (laughs) a triangle – does one ding on the triangle and she just looks at them like are you serious like is is this for real are you are you actually serious but she says her name is Paige and he is going to say his name and she says I know who you are so presumably he's quite popular and that his family is quite you know he, himself or his or his family are quite well known either in the school or the town so what did you make of the whole introduction to teen teen Derek?
1: <laughs> um, I didn't, I mean, in the beginning when he was playing basketball Yeah, he was being kind of douchey <laughs> I thought the part with the triangle was really <laughs> clever, though I didn't I didn't really see it as douchey I just saw it as clever And I thought that it was this great back and forth between them And I mean, we have to just take a moment And say that Madison McLaughlin, who paid, mm-hmm. played Paige And Ian Nelson, who plays young Derek Were just incredible in this mm-hmm. episode and I remember Madison on Supernatural, and she did a fantastic job in that episode, too. And she's just, I think she's going to be somebody that we should keep an eye on, because, I mean, both of them, really, they were just really incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, they also looked incredibly young. Like, they're meant to be sophomores, and they look, at our our kids, like the Teen Wolf, cast were meant to be sophomores in their first season and their second season and these kids looked so much younger than the the rest of the cast if you know what I mean they looked yeah. they looked like sophomores and that's good in a way but it also made their like scenes of how sort of <laughs> a little bit intense like yeah you don't kind of get like oh disturbed at like Scott and Allison making out because you a lot of teen dramas are they're set in high school or whatever because everyone remembers relating to that especially if you're a young adult but you don't cast teenagers you don't cast people that really look like teenagers you cast people that look young but if you cast people that look like teenagers like the age they are it actually makes people quite uncomfortable to watch even though they are doing things like that at that age it's like this is like a proven thing in like the way that people market shows it makes audiences uncomfortable to see teenage, not the idea of teenagers doing things like having really serious conversations or serious emotions or sex stuff or whatever. The idea of people doing that doesn't make people uncomfortable because they remember doing that at that age. But actually when you're older and you look back at how young people are, like really, it makes people really like, oh, that's weird to watch, which is why a lot of the shows that are about teenagers that are, based for kids, like for example, for example, like Nickelodeon teen shows, those kids will be the right age for what they are because the content is quite innocent. But teenage shows based to adults, the reason that they cast older and the reason that they, they're cast to look older is because it makes the audience as uncomfortable to watch people at their actual age, if you know what I mean, which is slightly hypocritical, but it's something in the human mind just doesn't like it. And these kids looked young. They they really looked young.
1: Yeah, I sort of scroll through Tumblr after I watch an episode just to see what yeah. everybody's talking about, what the fandom thinks and everything like that. I saw a lot of stuff where they were like, I don't know whether I should be creeped out or aroused. Uh. like. And I sort of felt the same way because I was like, it was a really great scene between them, like a lot of their scenes where they were kissing and stuff was really beautiful but at the same time it was really intense for them being for them looking so young so yeah yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying
0: yeah like the thing with like later on like the thing with him kind of like lipping at her ear it's like it's not as if teenagers don't do that but the idea of actually like if you went back and looked at yourself at that age and like saw the things that you were doing or saying or anything like that you'd probably be really disturbed. And, like, I think that it's really interesting that they actually went for people that were that young. But I suppose they had to make quite a difference between, you know, Tyler Hoechlin and how he looks now and and really portray him a lot younger. But I I liked it. Like, objectively, I, I thought it was really well done. But I just found it interesting that they cast them to look so young when, in general, casting teenagers doesn't work like that. I I praise them for it, but obviously the rest of the cast, who are meant to currently be that age, do not look so young.
1: Yeah, exactly. Something else that I found really interesting and sort of surprising on my part was the fact that basically we see these two young kids fall in love very quickly And they do have this sort of intense relationship, but you can tell that they really, really care about each other. Mm. And that sort of thing usually bothers me. We kind of call it insta-love. And (laughs) it's just when people fall in love so quickly in books and stuff like that, and you're like, you know what, this is not realistic.
0: Yeah, It did not
1: bother me in this episode. did not bother me at all. And I don't know if it was just... I think a lot of it had to do with the acting and that sort of thing. And the fact that we know that this probably took place over, you know, a decent amount of time, but months or something. I just, yeah, I just thought like their relationship and the portrayal of it, I was instantly sort of intrigued by it and very much invested in it. And so I just think that, you know, it's another, another great thing about the writing is they just suck you in right away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean about that insta love. I'm okay with it in kind of really big deal situations, like if if people are like, you know, trapped on an island together. Like that's very unrealistic. Right. But like when people are trapped in close quarters, over it, like things tend to develop over more realistically over a short period of time. But if it's just like you're in high school, and within two days you're like, I'm so in love. It's stupid. And I really liked a lot of things about them. I liked they had that whole conversation about, like, you know, oh, do you like me? And you you could kind of tell as well from the way that it progressed from them being, like, I like you so much, which is such a teenage thing, like, to say as well um, when it's in, like, a relationship. And then, like, later on they're saying, like, I love you, but it wasn't, like, some big, like, oh, my God thing. So I feel like it was over a fairly long period of time as far as high school relationships go. Yeah. So,
1: can we talk about Peter now, and how much he made me really mad in this episode? Yeah. I, I mean, I love Peter. If you guys are just tuning in first, Natalie and I both really love Peter, but he was, he was more of a douche this episode than Derek was, and... He was just like, oh, yeah, you know, I was Derek's best friend. I'm like, really? You were manipulating him and everything like that? And it was obvious that... I don't know what his game plan was, but I felt like he had a very, very strong reason to do what he did to Derek. Yeah, for wanting Paige to be changed. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't really know your motivation here, but you're being kind of a jerk about it because it obviously ended up very, very badly. And then Peter Peter was telling Styles and Cora a lie and saying that it was Derek's idea.
0: Yeah, that he, you know, that he tried to talk him out of it and that, you know, that Derek kept thinking about it. And him saying that was the first moment that I realized that what we were seeing in the flashbacks was the truth, but that what Peter was saying was not the truth, if you know what I mean, where the stories started not matching up. And I was just like, huh? huh? For a second I was like, did I, did I hear that right? And then I was like, oh, I see what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really like weird. I loved when he came to the school and Derek was like, you know, I could have you kicked out. Like and now Derek goes and creeps around the school. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, I don't know what the age gap was meant to be. Maybe like five to seven years, I thought maybe, which is 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 interesting because Peter kind of looks older than that now. Like if De- we'll talk about the ages in a second as well. But Jesus Christ. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Derek was a sophomore and Peter was clearly out of school, seeing as Derek said that he could get him kicked off or whatever, which was great. Right. But Peter, I mean, part of me wants to be like he just wanted like that he was trying to help Derek or or something. But I'm wondering.
1: He was just, he was being so adamant about it that I'm like, there has to be something else going on here. Because the way that he was doing it wasn't like, oh, I'm your friend, I think this is what you should do, here are the risks and stuff. Mm -hmm. He was, like, actively manipulating him and constantly bringing it up. And it was just, it was really confusing for me because I don't know why he
0: did it. And, I mean, maybe he had his own bad past experience, but... You know, the way he was sort of, like, scaring Derek, being, like, you know, young love and then, you know, out come the claws and stuff. You know, he didn't suggest just telling her as a solution. Like, I don't see how, like, turning her would help her, you know, being, like, surprised once it's already done, you know. Like, I'd say telling her might not be that big a deal, and that was not an option that came into the equation, apparently, but right. it was really strange um i mean one of the one of the things that you know people were saying is that this is the most you know that jeff has been saying that peter is an iago iago like character from othello and this episode really showed that uh someone on tumblr said l- let me just read you this The tumblr url is scooty McBooty, so uh, I guess that's a very disturbing reference to Scott. Um, (laughs) But says, remember how Jeff said Peter is based on Iago? In Othello, Iago is a manipulative douchebag who deliberately convinces Othello that his wife Desdemona is cheating on him. This ultimately leads Othello to kill Desdemona, not that it matters, but psych, she was totally faithful. In Visionary, Peter is a manipulative douchebag who deliberately convinces Derek, his girlfriend Paige, will leave if she finds out that he's a werewolf. This ultimately leads Derek to kill Paige, not that it matters, but psych, she knew all along. And then they say, wow, look at that, Jeff wasn't kidding. So that is hmm. a thing that happened, and I'm wondering, you know, if there are going to be other other connections there. But, you know, I just don't understand what Peter gains and why he kept spying on them. Like, you know, he told the kids, yeah. he told Styles and Cora that, you know, Derek was his best friend, he told him everything, blah, 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 blah. But we see him spying on them multiple times and spying on everyone, pretty much. And I don't know... The only other thing I can think of, and I think this is a bit far-fetched, is that Peter might be, like, psychic in some way. And that he saw something coming and that he was trying to stop it happening or, or set it into place, if you know what I mean. Like, that he knew that Paige should be... A werewolf, or that she should be killed, or something. If you know what I mean, I, I I don't know what it could be, but that you know he was so desperate to get this all in order, and I just don't understand why.
1: Yeah, I know the whole thing is just really confusing, and I had a question about sort of after the fact too because. I wonder, like, current Peter, as he's telling this story, and he's very clearly lying to Styles and Cora. it makes me wonder, is he being manipulative again? Or is he actually feeling guilt about what he did, and he just doesn't want to tell these two the truth, because yeah. he feels so horrible about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but, like, at the end, you know, right. when, when Styles is like, I don't believe him, and Cora's like, what, you're gonna ask Derek about that, you know, the dead girlfriend that he killed, and Styles is kind of like, if I have to, and god, that scene's gonna be fun. But, yeah, I mean, if he's, if Peter's outright lying, then why does he think that he can get away with it? Like, they could just go and ask Derek, or do they think that he won't? Or does he think that they won't?
1: Or, I mean, that's quite possible, but I also think... Derek, I mean, he obviously takes on a lot of guilt, and he probably feels horrible still about what happened, so I'm sort of wondering if he believes that it was his idea too, and Peter feels comfortable in telling that lie because he knows Derek, whether on purpose or not, is sort of going to back his story up.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get through to it, but I actually have a question about the whole turning thing anyway. Um, The... I mean, this is sort of intersected again with Gerard and Alison and Scott and when they go to leave, basically, and they kind of manipulate him and being like, Yeah, we're going now, you are not helpful. Um he Scott wants to know basically how to beat Jekalian. Gerard says, You can't, I've tried. And, you know, Alison's kinda of like, Well, peace, you're you're not helpful and and he offers up the advice that Jekalian may have lost his eyes but that he's not always blind so that's an interesting concept and then that sort of cuts off there and goes back to the loft and that's the bit where styles is confused because he basically cuts off peter in the middle of the story and it's like hang on derek was a sophomore so how old is he then wait how old is he now and then he goes to peter but how old are you now and then It's just so funny. It's such a funny, like, lampshading moment. I mean, it it is obviously something that has never come up before, and and Scott's a bitten werewolf, so we don't know if it's going to affect him like this as well. But it's really, (laughs) Peter's really cryptic about it, and it just, I don't know, I'm just like, what? I don't know why this age thing is such a big deal, unless it's going to become a plot point later, because Peter says, not as young as we could have been, but not as old as you might think. And he sort of avoids the question. And I just, what does that even mean? Because that's when Styles <laughs> asks Cora, like, well, how old is she? And she says, 17. And he's like, well, that's a normal answer. And then she sort of goes, yeah, but 17, how you'd measure in years. But like, And then Styles is kind of like, I don't even want to know. I don't care. But it, that whole exchange, number one, amazing. Number two, what the hell? Like, because what I'm confused about is... There are so many options here. Like, whether they literally age slower. You know, I want to know, how many calendar years ago was Cora born? How many calendar years ago was Derek born? You know, how many calendar years ago was Peter born? I don't care how they measure their time. I want to know, in objective time, how long they have been on the Earth. And the amount of time that they age in those years might be different. Like, they might age... The equivalent of like five human years in one calendar year, and they or they might age, you know, they might age slower. They might age, you know, they it might take them five calendar years to get to a one-year-old. So that if they sort of measure it by like a growth rate, you know, by the time Derek is in school, he's actually been on Earth for. 25 years, if you know what I mean, by the time he's in kindergarten. You know, this is tying into what Jeff has said before about the ages and, you know, oh, Derek's not as young as people think because people kind of thought that Derek was about 23, 24, that the fire had been somewhere between when he was 16 and 18, six or seven years prior to the start of the series. And that all seems to still add up, except for this age thing is weird and what we – the other option – that people are throwing around is that maybe they measure months by the lunar cycle, not the calendar cycle, which means that they'd technically be, in werewolf years, Derek might be 27, but in calendar years he'd be 24, if you know what I mean. like, And so in the werewolf community, he'd be like, I'm 27, and then they'd know that that meant 27 yearly moon cycles as opposed to 27 calendar years if that makes sense there was a post on our tumblr about this like sort of having actually like a mathematical calculator of moon cycles and all of that so if you want to go check that out I will put the link in the document for this episode so you can just go straight on our tumblr and look at it but that might make sense but I don't get why that would make them older or younger than you'd think because Older or younger than you'd think implies to me that they've been on the earth for longer than we think they have. You know, not as young as we might have been, but not as old as, you know, not, or whatever the hell he said, I can't even, (laughs) what, what was it again? Not as young as we could have been, but not as old as you might think. So, you know, whatever the hell that means. Um, Yeah, I
1: mean they very specifically say later on that werewolves stay younger and more beautiful mm -hmm. So I'm thinking it must be that they age more slowly And I mean I guess if you really think about it that does sort of make sense Because their bodies can heal from basically anything So Mm -hmm. their bodies are sort of healing the aging process Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder you know depending on when you get bitten Because obviously that's sort of you know you're completely human mm. beforehand and of course I mean Derek and them are born werewolves so it probably doesn't apply the same but yeah I'm. it would actually kind of make sense that it would slow down their aging process
0: yeah like is Scott gonna start is everyone gonna sort of start growing up around Scott and that he will just be a teen wolf forever teen wolf forever <laughs> <laughs> um. they don't have to worry
1: about trying to rename the show adult wolf <laughs> Or a college-age
0: wolf. Oh, my God. Um, So what I'm thinking is, yes, that they have potentially been on this earth for longer than their age appears, and that the age they tell the world is the age that they appear. But I don't know, because later Peter or Cora says Derek was 15, like outright. And can I just say two things in this entire situation – Horribly remind me of Twilight, which is the staying young and beautiful, which is not actually about the vampires, though they obviously do, because that's a vampire thing in general. But the werewolves in Twilight, like the the, the Native American werewolves, also don't age uh, when they when they start changing, like until they choose to stop changing into wolves, until they stop morphing, they basically stay the age they are forever. And then secondly, when Styles asks Cora, how old are you? And she says 17. I was just, I was literally waiting for him. I was waiting for it to be, for him to be like, how long have you been 17? Like, and her to be a while. And I believe Uh, someone has actually made that into a GIF set. It was just, no one in the world can ever ask that question again. No one can ask, (laughs) how old are you? And get the response, 17. And ever have that mean anything else ever again. But, however, her age, is, her age is pretty strictly laid out. She says she's 17, you know, how you'd measure in years, that she's 17. Presumably it means she's been on this earth for 17 years. And Peter says, I haven't seen you in six years. I knew you when you were 11. So that all seems quite linear. So I don't understand what the hell's going on.
1: Yeah, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm sure he's going to give us, you know, more answers later on. Until then, I think we're just going to keep going around in circles because we don't have enough information yet.
0: Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) I do not know. It, It may be that they're, you know, the same age as they, you know, in calendar years they are a certain age and that they just call themselves a different age in wolf years or something. But I don't know. I'm done with this right now. I just, I can't. I can't work it out. But they did choose to make a big point of it, so presumably it'll go somewhere. even though they didn't actually answer the question whatsoever. Moving on from that, basically, Peter keeps talking about, you know, Derek's whole relationship, that they had a favourite kind of hideaway to go make out, an abandoned distillery. Number one, how many abandoned buildings are there around Beacon Hills? Like a train (laughs) carriage centre, a mall, a distillery? Like how many things are there? And basically that's sort of when we see as well that Peter is lying to Styles because he says he knew everything because Derek told him that they were BFFs. And then in the video we actually see that Peter was spying on them, which I don't really understand. And that's when Derek kind of smells blood, hears people coming, they leave and then Peter stays spying. And that's when the stories cross over basically this is kind of where I lose track as to who's telling the story. Like, oh, but it's it's factually what happened. But I don't know if this is what Scott's hearing or what Styles and that are hearing, because what we see is Carly, Ennis, and Jukalian arrive with their packs, and like when they were all alphas of different packs, and Ennis is basically angry because we find out that the werewolf killed at the beginning of the episode. Like the um the islander or Asian guy at the beginning of the episode was a pack mate, a beta of Ennis's and that he's pretty much heartbroken that this guy has been killed, um, in a apparently very cruel way. Um, you know, he was sort of strung up and cut in half and we find out later that he was tortured as well. So that's fun.
1: Can I just say too that like Ennis was, has always been my least favorite Alpha Pack member. I mean, we didn't get a whole lot of information about him. He always seemed like this brute force kind of guy. He didn't have a whole lot of personality. I always really enjoyed, like, the twins and Kali and Deucalion a lot more. But this episode really allowed him to shine, and you got to see him before he became an Alpha Pack member and how much he cared about his pack. And he he was actually sort of like a human being instead of this yeah. gigantic scary monster. And I just loved Love that they decided to do this with his character, and I actually felt really connected to him throughout this whole episode.
0: Yeah, no, I did as well, and I mean, I much prefer him to Kali, who is the one who kind of goes, why should we care about, you know, he asks them for help, and she says, why should we care about another pack, and one of her betas is smart enough to be like, that the Argents, the hunters, don't really care about which pack's which when they're hunting werewolves. And... Deucalion steps in and says, you know, they do come, they do have the code, they, you know, did, he kill someone, and apparently that werewolf did kill a hunter, um, which Ennis says was an accident. So basically then, the whole pack gathering, the whole different packs, they end up kind of deferring to Talia Hale, who is meant to be This very powerful alpha, very respected by the entire werewolf community, partially because she can turn into a full wolf. We see it sort of the wolf approaching and then her turning into her human form and um, getting a a robe and then sort of basically passing judgment on everyone. And she was really amazing right from the start. Like she just had a a presence to her, like a very calm, very cool presence. and. Uh, Everyone, when she came in, was so, like, awed by her, Um, especially Jukalian. who, out of Carly, Ennis, and Jukalian, he was definitely the most demure of all of the alphas there, and he was really taken aback and admiring of her when she arrived, which interested me.
1: Me too. He was so reasonable during this entire episode that, I mean, you can tell, whatever happened to him changed his personality completely I mean a complete 180 because Mm. he was actually quite passive to begin with and it was such an interesting twist to his character that I really want to know if it was just him losing his sight and then obviously I mean he killed Marco his beta later on
0: Mm. if
1: if that was what changed him or if some other things had happened in between there
0: yeah I know because it's yeah, he because I didn't feel like it was, oh, he's being calm and nice as a manipulative tactic. Like, it was You're him. Like, like, it wasn't fake. It was it was real. And, exactly. you know, Talia has to, he he's the one being like, don't make drama, guys, don't make drama. And Talia says, you know, that Ennis has the right to the vengeance and that they're not the only people that have, like, thousand-year-old rituals. And Deucalion is kind of this, progressive, like, peaceful, like, pacifist, basically. And he says that that's not an excuse for not evolving. And that's sort of when Ennis says, you know, he doesn't care about any of that, that, you know, that the hunters tortured the beta, like, ripped out his claws one by one, which is nice. And Decalion again, is being, like, what does he say? Like, don't become a historical cliche. So, basically, Deucalion at this point, is this, like, progressive, like, pacifist, And that's amazing, like, that's insane, like, that's amazing.
1: It was so weird to see, and yet, I just, I loved it, I mean... Both him—it was funny because him and Ennis were basically on the opposite side of the fence because Ennis wanted to attack the Argents, get his revenge. Deucalion didn't want that to happen, and yet I felt for both of them who currently—I mean, well, Ennis is dead, but when he was alive, they're both, you know, our enemies because they're Scott's enemies— and, yeah, I understood where they were both coming from, and I felt for both of them in, like, a very sincere sort of way, and it was just so strange because you care about them so much in this episode.
0: Yeah, I know. Again, Ducalion is, he's, yeah, trying to, again, talk him out of it and being like it won't be, like, an eye for an eye. It'll go to a war, and Ennis basically is like, no care, and he does his big spiral on the on the sheet metal.
1: Yeah, can I just say, I can't believe Deucalion said an eye for an eye. (laughs) 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 I started dying during that part.
0: Oh, my God. That point does cut back to the loft, I remember, because that's when Peter was kind of staring out into the distance drawing the spiral on, like, the frosted glass. And he explains to Styles that it's, like, the vendetta symbol, and Stiles kind of says that, you know... Werewolves take vengeance to a whole new level, and Cora explains that it's not just about revenge. It's she says losing a member of your pack is not just like losing a family member. It's like lo- it's like you lose a limb. And so, I mean, I can't really imagine like bonds like stronger than like family and love and stuff like that. So this pack thing like. It, you know, it makes you wonder how much they share when a pack is is fully functioning, like whether it's, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, theorization and a lot of sort of fan fiction and all sorts of different things, Um, you know, but about how, you know, it's, I don't think they have like a psychic connection where they all live inside each other's head, but like how a functioning pack actually operates and how close they are. And yeah. what causes that bond, if you know what I mean? Like, like if you choose to be in someone's pack, because, you know, there are people in, you know, in Teen Wolf who are not that connected. Like what makes that connection happen? And all of that kind of thing is, is what I'm a bit confused about, especially if you choose to go and be in someone else's pack. Like it's not your alpha that bit you. It's, you know, if you go to choose to be – if that's even possible, like, to go and be like, oh, I want to be... For example, if if Scott becomes Isaac's alpha instead of Derek being Isaac's alpha, like, is there a ritual, you know, like you said, is there robes and candles where they do, like, a pledge (laughs) or they do, like, a spit-swap handshake or something, you know? Yeah, I I don't know. I want to know what causes that bond because obviously the Hale pack was family as well, and we don't know if there were people in that that were not Hales, like... You know, what relation everyone is. Peter is uh, is Peter Hale. Talia is Talia Hale. We don't know if they kept the Hale name because, you know, she was the alpha. Like, if it was her. We don't know if Peter was her brother or if, or if Peter was her husband's brother, but if Peter was her husband's brother, then she's not a Hale. She's married into the family, and so it's a bit odd that she'd be the alpha of that whole pack, if you know what I mean.
1: Right, yeah. Something that I was really sort of thinking about was back to what Cora said about how pack members are more than family. If you lose one, it's like losing a limb. For me, this was really significant in terms of Deucalion and the others killing their own betas in order to become these, like, super alphas or whatever they are. I mean, obviously, I think Deucalion killed Marco out of rage and out of Protection Because he didn't want to lose his alpha powers, but that has to be some serious crap you have to go through to be able to kill your own pack members. Not just one, but several. I mean, they all had fairly large packs. I, I didn't count, but I mean, they yeah. had a handful of betas. And I cannot imagine, basically, you know, from what Cora said, cutting off your own limbs.
0: Again, it's very Voldemort. Like, it's very... Crazy right. and and it you know makes if they're all so crazy and ruthless now maybe it's because doing this like burnt out anything good in them. Carly was already kind of a bitch, but you know the <laughs> others the others seemed really nice and good alpha. Yeah. So I mean that whole like good alpha thing. Obviously Ennis like that whole bit at the hospital with Ennis and trying to get to the body of the uh, of his beta. And Sheriff Stilinski, who was a deputy at the time, comes. And this bit, can I just say, was amazing because Ennis is, uh, like, a head taller than <laughs> than the Sheriff. And just the way that, like, he's so upset and, you know, raging and sort of demanding that the body be delivered to him. And Sheriff comes in and sort of tries to calm him down, and he, he says that the death is a homicide. And just the way that he kind of, like, he knows that he can't, like, physically overpower Ennis, but also that Ennis is, like, really emotionally distraught and he, like, puts up his hand and he literally just, like, sort of tips him on the chest and it works and Ennis, like, still moves back and, like, calms down. Yeah, I don't really understand, like, how that worked or, again, what the sheriff knew. Like, he came in and he said, so I've heard that someone's got shot through the chest you know, the neck with an arrow and was cut in half, and this is a homicide. And I don't know, it's, again, it seemed to me like he was saying something, you know? It seemed to me like he was, like, secretly, he was like, dude, I know, like, I I know what's happened here, but we can't talk about that in the middle of the hospital, if you know what I mean. The fact that later on we found out that Paige knew just from being in the town, from seeing things. If a 14 or 15-year-old girl can pick up on that, you know. I bet there's more people in Beacon Hills who kind of know what's going on, but it's just like everybody does it, it's just that nobody talks about it kind of thing. Right. And I just, yeah, I just have a real suspicion about that scene with Ennis and the sheriff as well. I think he would have been more more confused or more like objectioning even more if he didn't know exactly what was going on but was – you know, knew that the situation couldn't be handled like that.
1: Right. I actually didn't pick up on that specifically. Um, I definitely see where you're coming from, and it's got me very curious now, because I think that's definitely plausible. I saw it as sort of just, you know, he knew that he couldn't take Ennis down by brute force, so he had to lo- use logic and reasoning, and I think Ennis at that point was very open to that sort of thing, whereas when he became a part of the Alpha Pack member, he was very unreasonable, and he just didn't, you know, take crap from anybody. Uh, So I have a feeling maybe if something else isn't going on on top of that, you know, that maybe it was just him being receptive to that logic that the deputy uh was giving him at that point but this scene was where my heart broke for ennis i felt so bad for him and like i said before it was just such a weird feeling because you know seven episodes and you're like dude i hate this guy like you know god he's finally dead you know it's one more alpha pack member out of the way and you get to episode eight and you're like man feel bad for this guy, and it's just so weird.
0: Yeah, I I did as well, I felt like he was very vulnerable, and I felt pretty sad about it, not gonna lie Basically, we then go through the bit that we've talked about with Peter and and Derek, and having that whole thing about the Peter as Iago bit as we mentioned, the bit where he is manipulating him, being like Turner, 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 we kind of already talked about that, so after that it cuts to Gerard and Chris. The place where they are is that they're basically looking at the basement where at the start of the episode is the place that Peter and Derek hid out for two days from the hunters. And that, that's basically where, where they see the big tree that comes in a few times and the symbol painted on the trunk, which is apparently a Celtic fivefold knot and a Druid symbol. And that... There was blood on the tree trunk that indicates some sort of sacrifice took place there.
1: Yeah, and we already got some people on Tumblr. I was looking through some of the asks that we answered, or no, I think it was a comment on one of the um on the recap post on Hypable. But they're like, oh, you know, Karen's probably really excited for this part, and I was, I was totally into it because they talk about the Lycohen myth and how you know there was this guy who basically looked more up to prometheus who was the guy that gave man fire rather than the gods like zeus and he went to feed zeus human limbs or something it was human flesh yeah, he tricked and, basically
0: he tricked zeus into eating human flesh and as a punishment he was turned into a wolf
1: right And then after the myth, we find out that Lycoen actually talked to the druids who he wanted them to help him turn back into human. And they actually taught him how to shift back and forth between a wolf and a human form. And so this is sort of where Lycanthropy comes from and the whole idea of werewolves and all that. And we find out that there's these things called emissaries, and they help the alphas in their packs and give them advice we find out that Deaton was Talia's emissary and that Morrell is actually the Alpha Pack's emissary. So now we kind of know why Morrell has been hanging out with the Alpha Pack and has been helping them. And we know for a fact that both Deaton and Morel are druids. So this was actually a pretty significant reveal.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it really was. And the whole Lycan myth with, you know, them going to the Druids to be taught to shift back into human form, they did that because the Druids themselves are shapeshifters. Um, and that's how they uh, had the information and knowledge to do that. And so I'm still sticking with my theory that the Dirac can split up into thousands of tiny little moths and then back into themselves. But, yeah. um, but regardless of that, yeah, I mean, it was really going down that path with with Deaton already, but um, it's it's actually one sort of fan theory that's been hit, like, straight on the head. Like, they, they hit the nail on the head in that people have often thought that, yeah, that um, Deaton was an advisor to the Hales of some sort, like some sort of human mythological advisor, and... This, you know, we didn't have the name for it, but this is it, like the emissaries. And that's really, um, really interesting. And it's, you know, whether, you know, he has to be descended from druids or whether it's like a religion you can become, like, or, a you know, a, a sort of a belief system or a, a lifestyle that you can choose to take on, or if you have to be, you know, what makes a druid, for example. But Chris knows everything about the druids. And he's sort of telling Gerard about the druid sacrifice spot that, you know, the, the tree and and that um, people believe that cutting or harming the tree would bring problems like plagues, fires, death and destruction, all that stuff. And Alison asks Gerard how her father knows so much about all the druids, and all Gerard says is, know thy enemy, but we then, you know, obviously find out that the reason that they're the hunter's enemies is because they are in league with the werewolves. But, do you think that that's the only reason that Chris knows that stuff? Like, he he knew it, but Gerard apparently didn't, Like because we see Chris explaining right. it to Gerard.
1: This part was really confusing, and I'm going to sort of jump ahead to the promo that we get for next episode, because we're basically led to believe that Chris is up to something, and that he could possibly be the Drac or could have a hand in it. I mean, things are looking pretty suspicious. I have a feeling that this is a red herring, so I didn't look too much into it when, you know, he was saying he knew all this information and that. I have a feeling that yeah, he was just reading up on the enemy, he was just finding out more and maybe that was sort of his job while his father was around, you know, his father was meant to be the leader of the soldiers or whatever. Maybe Chris was more like the researcher, so Gerard maybe wouldn't have known that stuff, but Chris would and it was his job to tell Gerard about that. Yeah. So I tried not to read into it too much.
0: No, I mean, the only thing I took for it is, you remember how we've talked before, like, even when we were watching season one, about, like, how someone would marry into the hunter pack, if you know what I mean? Like, how someone would yeah. marry into, and we were wondering, like, how the hell is Victoria someone that married, you know, it was like, oh, surprise, honey, I'm part of an ancient werewolf hunting family. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, but, you know, we thought that she had to be someone in on the world already, and I'm wondering if, like, she was from a druid, uh, family or druid place, and, you know, that she potentially was like, I don't, like, that she was like the Petunia Dursley, if you know what I mean, that she was like, (laughs) you know what I mean when I say that, though, like, like that she was like, that she was like, I don't want any of your dirty werewolf magic, I'm gonna go be on the other side, kind of thing, (laughs) and that... And, yeah, and that, so it's something to do with her, and that she may be the Dirac again. But, you know you know what I mean?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. We have so many Harry Potter references. I know!
0: <laughs> but, yeah, so that was my only thoughts about, about Chris. But he is starting to really bother me or creep me out. I liked the bit where it cut back to Peter talking about the emissaries as well, and that, you know, that Cora and Derek didn't know about, um... Deaton, like, that didn't know that he was the emissary. I mean, I don't know why that would have to be, like, a secret. Like, maybe it's for the person's own protection or something like that. But um, And Stiles is shocked when he finds out that Morell, the guidance counsellor, is Deaton's sister and uh, an emissary. And I loved how he was like, I told her really personal things. And Peter was like, and did she help you? And he was like, yeah, actually. And <laughs> I really liked that for some reason. Yeah, it was funny. But I really loved the back and forth between Deaton, Jukalian, and Talia at the clinic. Like when they have that sort of conference about what to do, and I really enjoyed that. And and that oh, I I feel like that I feel like that Derek get may get his dry kind of sass from his mother because when basically Jukalian wants to make this plan for peace, he wants to go in to the Argents and be like, please leave us alone, we're not doing anything, please stop hunting us. And Talia says, Gerard might be the wrong one to approach, and Jekyllian's like, oh yeah, because the Argents have women leaders, right? And Talia's just like, no, because Gerard's a complete psychopath who cuts people in half with a broadsword. And I was just like, true words, lady, true words. And just the fact (laughs) that she said it like that, I was like, lol. But it's just so... Deucalion was so. He was like Scott as well. Like, he was. You know, we had the comparison of Derek to Scott at the beginning, but Deucalion was also like Scott. He was so innocent and, like, believing that people were good. And he's the one that's like, I can't believe you guys don't have faith in people. Like, don't think that this will work. And then what's sort of funny is that Deaton tells the legend or the, you know, Aesop's fable or whatever of um, the scorpion and the frog. And then about, like, basically things nature, you know, which for anyone, you know, obviously you saw the episode, you heard the story, um, and that that's a traditional fable. And Deaton tells Ducalion that, you know, his faith in humanity doesn't matter if he underrate, underestimates the fact that Gerard is a complete psychopath. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, they you know, well, like, Deucalion, okay, if you want to try this, you know, we'll you can you can try it, and he, they sort of just warn him about, about it. I mean, what did you take from that whole, like, thing, like, about Deucalion being so desperate for that?
1: Yeah, this whole thing seemed really significant to me, because the thing is, Deucalion was... A decent person before everything went down I mean, he wanted peace And like we said before, I think it was genuine
0: I don't think he was
1: being manipulative And yet, Gerard has always been crazy And I think right now You know, the Alpha Pack and Deucalion Is sort of the big bad I mean, we have the Duroc But right now, you know, until the next episode We don't really know what's going on with that But the Alpha Pack has been in our face Since the first episode And I think that, yeah, they're scary and things, you know, they're going to do bad things and and we don't really know how that is all going to end. But Gerard has been crazy from day one. And right now he's sort of in the background. He's helping while it works in his favor. And I think that once the Alpha Pack's out of the way, once the Drac is out of the way, I think Gerard is going to step up and we're going to find out what he is and what he's capable of. And he's going to probably be the worst bad guy that we've seen so far. I
0: still think he is. And I, I've been thinking this for a while about the Alpha Pack. I'm like okay, you're being shoved in our faces as the enemies and you're being, you know, you're having all these fights and, you know, turf wars and whatever. But I'm just like, at the end of the day, I don't know if you're bad morally. Like, Deucalion seems to be pretty messed up. Like, the way that he sort of killed Ennis to pretend that it was, you know, Derek and he he doesn't seem to have much care for people. But I was still kind of like, I don't know if you guys are evil. Like, not like in that way, and so, yeah. yeah, I don't, like, I'm 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 feeling like that they're just, like, you know, at the beginning of season one that, you know, how we, you know, we thought that Derek was a bad guy, and then, I mean, Peter was a bad guy, but he's kind of not now, and stuff like that, and I just feel like the Alpha Pack are not really the bad guys, and I've been feeling that for a while, and I'm still a bit confused about the Darak and, and who, you know, who or what could be doing it. And, I mean, Gerard seems to think that the Darak um, or whoever's doing the sacrifices is doing it in order to get rid of someone like Ducalion, like that Ducalion is that bad. But we don't know what Deucalion, what powers Dukalian really has, what he has up his sleeve, and whether, you know, whether he is actually, you know, super evil and bad and whose side you'd be on, like, in a fight between him and the Darak, you know, as, as a moral or ethical issue. I can't work it out basically.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic and there are a lot of shades of grey here because I feel like Ethan is borderline good guy at this point. Aiden I think he is very violent and he sort of is more of a soldier than his brother is just sort of taking orders i think kali is the same way she kind of revels in in the fight and in hurting people we saw that when she had the pull through derek's back Mm. and i think deucalion is just sort of twisted but and, I mean, there's there's a whole spectrum here. You have Ethan, who's sort of that borderline, and then you have Gerard, who I think is just, honestly, I think he's pure evil. And I, I think Deucalion's pretty close to him, but he's not quite there yet. I think he's just sort of twisted. And I love that about villains, is that you sometimes don't know where to place them on that spectrum, and that they can sort of go either way. And like you said, in a fight when you have the Gerak on one side and Deucalion and the Elfpack Pack on the other... Which would you go for? I mean, I think I would go with the Alpha Pack, but they aren't really good guys either.
0: I mean, the fact that we've seen Ducalion now and who he used to be shows that Mm -hmm. he has something more to him and that he could potentially be turned around in some way. Whereas Gerard, I do not think, is in any way redeemable. Yeah, me neither. Like, we've, we've redeemed lots of people that have killed people in Teen Wolf. Like, not redeemed, redeemed, but, like, you know... They killed Boyd, but, you know, and Erica, I guess. But, you know, Peter killed Laura and lots of other people. Jackson, you know, is the Kanima, you know, killed lots of people. um, That obviously wasn't his fault. And I just don't think that Gerard has anything redeemable. Like, his stuff has been so much worse than just... We know that werewolves are, you know, hyper-aggressive and that they kill each other over, like, power struggles. That's kind of just, like... Almost like the animal kingdom or nature or whatever. It doesn't inherently make them evil. I don't believe. If, you know, I. It's not great, but it's it's sort of nature, as opposed to Gerard, who is nuts and not. I do not think in any way redeemable. Interestingly, we kind of then go to the moment of Paige getting turned. If you know what I mean, page getting set up so that she'll get bitten by uh, Ennis because Ennis, you know, wants a new pack member and is sort of desperate and that he, you know, would turn her into a werewolf. What do you think about this scenario? Do you think that Derek actually asked him to or do you think Derek didn't know anything about it until he saw Paige bitten and that Peter set up the whole thing? I believe that Derek did not potentially set this up himself. Like that it was, I don't know whether you know he knew about it, like if he was like, yeah, okay, let's do this. Or if he literally didn't know anything about it and only came in to to help her because he got wind of it too late or something like that. But um, we know that Peter was there, Derek was there, you know, Paige was there, you know, and that Ennis bit her. Derek kind of breaks, he can't listen to it, and basically rushes in to try and save her, and she'd already been bitten, and then it basically finds out that there's nothing that that it wasn't working basically and I just don't know how I feel about the whole scenario like whether Derek was like yeah okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do this or whether Peter you know was the one that set it up
1: yeah that's a really good question and I'm sort of on the fence about it because I think for one thing if Peter took it into his own hands and orchestrated everything, I honestly think Derek would have, like, tried to kill him or something. Yeah,
0: no, that's true.
1: I think Derek knew what was going on, and maybe he was just like, yeah, let's do this, and then Peter set it up. Yeah. Because that could explain why he didn't know that it was Ennis, or, you know, maybe he just blocked the whole thing out of his head, I don't know, because he obviously saw Ennis there. Yeah. So that's interesting, but I have a feeling that Peter had a hand in it somehow, but I don't think Derek was completely cut off from the plan either because I I think there would have been more shock and more anger involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I I think I agree with you. I just was really confused by it um, because yeah, it just seemed really, 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 really strange. And obviously we know that the bite, um, that the page got bitten and the bite didn't, take. But before that, we kind of see Gerard's story, basically, which is a lie. Well, most of it's a lie. Is that Deaton came to arrange the meeting with Deucalion and that, you know, so he was the he was the emissary. He went, you know, he was a go-between. He, he hooked up the meeting. They organised the meeting and Scott asked Gerard how he knew that Deucalion wasn't telling the truth. And Gerard says, basically, because he knows a werewolf's nature and he tells Scott the same fable, that that Deaton used about uh, he he tells you know a, a version a slightly different version in which it's a scorpion and a turtle but it's basically the same fable that he you know something's nature and that he knows werewolves' natures and that he knew apparently the Jukalians offer of peace was a trap and that's we see very soon that that is a blatant lie that in the objective version of events, the video that we see that, um, that Jukalian comes in with some pack members and they are literally there to try and make peace. And sort of Gerard goes into one of his beautiful, terrible metaphors about, <laughs> you know, what, you know, the distillery and, you know, sending things into volatile states and Jukalian's like, well, we don't want to get volatile. And Gerard attacks them all, you know, apropos of nothing. Basically, he he opens a bunch of valves and confuses everyone with some like smoke or steam or something. And then basically everyone goes down except Gerard because apparently he injects himself with something. Did you catch that that he like kind of
1: Yeah, that was really confusing. I had no idea what was going on because he had his own hunters with him, right?
0: Oh, he doesn't give, he doesn't care about like Anyone. No, I know,
1: like, but like that was really weird. And I thought that maybe the steam or whatever it was, was like Wolfsbane. Maybe but you're you're right, because the hunters there was like nobody but Gerard. Yeah. And yeah, I mean,
0: I think that it's potentially because he doesn't want anyone to know that he doesn't go by the code if you know what I mean, like, his own hunters. Right. It's not like the whole Argent family don't go by, by the code. I mean, he trained Kate into, a, like, a crazy killing machine, but everyone else that he works with is, by appearances, meant to be doing the right thing. And so he probably didn't tell the, you know, the the people he was with that he was going to be pulling a dodgy one. So he wants, you know, everyone out for the count. And he basically, I think, had, I guess, some... Um, antidote to whatever that gas was, and um, he basically lies to Alison Scott and says him and his hunters innocently waited, and that was a trap, and Deucalion and his friends ambushed them and started attacking, which, if the video is the objective turn of events, is completely not true, you know, that that it was a complete lie.
1: Right, and at this point, this is the point where I was like, wow, I'm feeling really bad for Deucalion, is this real life? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know, right? I was as well. And I was like, I was really, I was really glad because I've been kind of, because I really liked the idea of Julian at the start of the season, but then I haven't liked him so much, as much as I thought I would. Like, I, I, I really like, like, the way he talks and I think he's quite cool and stuff, but, like, there wasn't enough depth to him. And between yeah. that and, like, the demon wolf screaming, I was just a bit like, no. <laughs> and now I'm just, like, really, really into it, actually.
1: He's um, much more three-dimensional now.
0: Yeah, and I really, really like it. And then, basically, the hunters, when he goes out to fight with Deucalion, like, he sort of, you know, Gerard starts hitting everyone with a homemade, you know, spiky stick, so that's nice. He also uses it, basically, to hit over the head. The people he hits over the head were his hunters. They Like, it wasn't just the werewolves, it was... He he kills everyone there, not just the werewolves. He kills everyone there, and right. he that's sort of because be he says his proof. Yeah, because he says that they, um, yeah, that that's what it had to be. If, if people were going to believe that Jukelian ambushed it, he had to kill everyone. And apparently, the hunters actually believed that they were making a treaty. That they were like, okay, if these people don't want to kill anyone, then we won't kill anyone. We're we're down with this as well. And so Gerard was like, nope no, can't have any of that, and he killed all of them, and then he's going to blame it all on Deucalion.
1: I mean, if you didn't already hate Gerard because of the whole Victoria thing, mm. how could you have any any sort of sympathy or, I mean, this just, he's not going to turn around from this. He's always been this way. There's just no way yeah. that he's ever going to be redeemable.
0: Given that what we know, I mean, we know that he doesn't particularly abide by the code, if you know what I mean, but we also now know how they're able to kind of differentiate with the code, like with the, because we find out about the eye colours. Um, and so we know that he killed, we've seen him kill werewolves. Like the Omega, you know, the, in, in that first episode of season two, Omega, where they string up that werewolf and hang him, you know, hang him from the tree and cut him in half. We now know 100% that that werewolf was innocent, that, he, that you know, he had never killed a person. Because it had brown eyes. Like, it had gold brown eyes when it was a werewolf. We saw them. Well, right. It, it was not. It, and so they clearly, I mean, obviously different werewolves have different circumstances. You know, someone might see Derek or even Jackson as a werewolf and be like, oh, my God, they're a killer, when we know that they kill killed people, but it's not necessarily, like, exactly as it appears. But, you know, Gerard, we've seen him kill, pe- you know, werewolves with physical proof right in front of them that, they have never killed a human. So we know that's one reason that they're able to automatically sort of have the code play into it. Like brown eyes, no killing. You know, like that should be clearly their number one code rule. So, yeah. yeah. And speaking
1: of eyes, mm. we see Gerard stab Deucalion with arrows that like light up like fireworks. Like
0: electrocuted arrows or something. Oh my god. It
1: was freaking horrible. Yeah, it was like I was like I had my laptop like inches from my face because I was like so into that scene. <laughs> oh my and that gosh. happened. And I just sat back and I was like, Jesus, like I, it was so violent. And my main question is, though, like, why didn't he kill him? You know, you would think that would be like sort of the plan all along. Like, what was the purpose of keeping Ducalion alive, especially given? I mean, obviously, Gerard probably doesn't know the future, but given what killian is now I'm sure Gerard's regretting that decision
0: maybe or maybe he wants to make like well I mean he thinks he's crippled him I guess but maybe he wants to keep him alive to kind of prove that like he wants to create a villain so more people believe in killing the world true that you would know what I sense. mean like that if if he's oh he ambushed us he's so evil let's go kill more you know like that that he he needs someone to be the bad guy, in order to prove his made-up point. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. You know what, though? Speaking of bad guys, I saw a lot of parallels between Peter and Gerard, this episode, and particularly, like, at this point in the story, because we find out that they've both been lying. Mm. And, I mean, it makes me kind of sad, because I really do enjoy Peter. I don't trust him, but I enjoy his character, and I don't really want him to be, like, super evil. Mm. I like him when he's just sassy Uncle Peter. But this, this part, I was like, they're drawing a lot of parallels between... Peter and Gerard, the fact that they're both being manipulative, they're both lying, they're both covering up things that they've done in their past, and I mean, obviously Gerard, what he's done is way worse than what Peter did, but both ended up killing innocent people you know one way or another and it was just really interesting for me to see those two storylines sort of just kind of head down the same road and it makes me wonder if they're trying to tell us something about peter because we know how evil gerard is and it makes Mm. me wonder if peter is sort of going to go down the same path as gerard
0: well i hope not i feel like peter has more to redeem if you know what i mean that he has more yeah reasons or well, sort of reasons for doing what he did that he's not as inherently cold I mean we don't know we don't know why he's lying about this stuff whereas we know we sort of know that why Gerard is lying about it and yeah I, I, w- I wouldn't like to think that Peter would ever be as bad as Gerard
1: yeah same here another thing and I mean at this point I'm probably reading too much into it but I did think that it was interesting. That Allison and Scott were in the room with Gerard, and that Cora and Styles were in the room with Peter. And I mean, perhaps that was just circumstance because obviously Cora and Peter are at Derek's loft or whatever, mm-hmm. and Styles came over to find out the story. But I didn't know if why. The- why
0: was Styles? Why was I mean? Well, I mean that was a big thing at the moment. Like at the beginning, when Cora was like, "Why do you care?" and Styles has that big like, "Why do I care?" kind of fit at her which was really interesting Um, I really enjoyed that but like go on sorry
1: well, this is just the second time that we're getting a lot of Styles and Korra action, which sounds bad, but it's not, because obviously uh-huh. nothing's happened between them yet. But a lot of scenes between them and a lot of like significant dialogue, and nothing really happened in this one like it did in the previous one where their hands touch and that sort of thing. But I just feel like more and more they're leading up to the fact that maybe these two are going to have more of a relationship than we previously thought.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, I mean, people have been saying stuff about their interactions in this episode that, like, you know, the fact that she came over and was like, what's up with your face kind of thing, you know, she didn't really mean she wanted to punch him. She's just a super defensive person. She meant what's wrong, but she doesn't know how to do those words because she's a member of the Hale family yeah exactly and so like um you know she clearly thinks quite highly of styles and that's interesting the fact that he came over there to find out what was going on with Derek you know as opposed to Scott or Isaac or whatever I mean Scott was a more practical person to be going to Gerard with Alison obviously but like styles doing this stuff alone like styles being with Peter and Cora alone like It's interesting that he feels like it's his place to do that. Like, not like, oh, how dare you, but like that he feels responsible to do that.
1: It makes me wonder why he didn't drag Lydia along. I mean, she's super intelligent. She probably would have been able to kind of discern her own series of facts from the story, like I'm pretty sure that Styles did. I mean, he was fairly certain that Peter was lying, and we know that Peter was lying, so Styles is right, but I think it would have been helpful having somebody like Lydia with him, too. And it was interesting that... I don't know. Maybe Styles was just protecting her and didn't want her to go over to Around Peter. Around Peter, yeah,
0: yeah. But even Isaac as well could have been there. Like the fact That's it was just the two Hales and and Styles was really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess the next bit is we see sort of Derek run away to his little hidey hole under his Druid tree with Paige. Basically, she's not healing. She doesn't take the bite and. I mean, what does Peter say? He's just like some of uh, some people just aren't meant for this life or something. And yeah. basically, for some reason, uh, unlike Lydia, like Lydia healed from her bites that she got from Peter but didn't become a werewolf, and we still don't know why exactly. I mean, when Paige got the bite, she just didn't take. And, I mean, we see Styles ask Peter, and I love that they can be so, like, cash about this, like, you know, oh, remember when you were evil and you offered me, me the bite? Like, yeah, remember that? And you said, like, <laughs> if, if, it, if it doesn't kill you. And and so and they're just having this conversation, like, everyone feels safe and casual and normal and they can just talk about this stuff and I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, he says, and Peter kind of sadly says, yeah, like, if. If it, if it doesn't kill you. And he does actually genuinely seem quite sad. But, yeah, we find out that unlike Lydia, who is clearly something special and... Healed without turning. Paige just died, basically, was dying, was not healing, was in a lot of pain, was bleeding out, was going to die. And Derek sort of sits with her and holds her and tries to take her pain away, basically, you know, doing the, the pain removal trick for as long as he can. And then she sort of tells him that she can't do it anymore, basically, and, uh, and asks him yeah. to kill her. Which is nice. We also find (laughs) out, basically, she says in the same time, she's like, "Um, I knew what you were. Like, you know, I kind of suspected from as soon as we met um, that, you know, living in this town, you hear things, you see things, and she just uses her powers of observation to say things. You know, she's like, you hear things that other people don't hear. You say things in an odd way, something like you'll say you caught a scent you know, we kind of know what goes on in this town, and I I knew. So if this 14-year-old girl, or whatever, however old she's meant to be, can, you know, just from living in Beacon Hills, and, you know, kind of pick up on these odd things, there've got to be a lot more people in the town that kind of know about it but don't talk about it.
1: You really want Sheriff Stilinski to already know about werewolves. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but but don't you think, like, don't you think it's odd that she's no, the first yeah. person that we've seen, like, the first human that we've seen who's, I mean, obviously maybe of Scott's generation, um there wouldn't be, like, you know, none of the kids currently at school, like, would have, you know, had this because there haven't been werewolves around because, you know, Derek wasn't in town, Laura wasn't there. Peter was in the hospital and and he he had nothing to do until Laura came, basically. So there were no werewolves around. But, you know, Derek, before the fire, it was clearly a hub of werewolf activity because the Hales were there and they were very revered and other packs came through town to get, like, the magic blessing of the goddess Talia Hale or whatever it was. And the fact that that happened, I'm wondering if more people of, like, the generation above do not, I really can't see how they wouldn't if this 15-year-old child could work it out.
1: I think it's more than possible, and I mean, we've talked about how Scott and his friends just really suck at whispering, so I think that more people are going to be picking up on this sort of thing, but then again, I can see why it's not becoming a widespread thing, because I mean, even if you think like, oh, my neighbor might be a werewolf, like, that sounds absolutely nuts, and I think a sane person would like try to hide it or try to reason with it. It reminds me of, I think it was something in Buffy. Like they say that people just sort of come up with their own reasons to explain away the supernatural because it's much easier than trying to believe that, you know, things like werewolves exist. Yeah. So I, it doesn't surprise me that a lot more people don't know about this um, but I think it's more than possible that given, you know, specifically Sheriff Stilinski, he's obviously been around for a really long time. He was around when all those packs were in town. It wouldn't surprise me if he did know more than he's let on so far.
0: Yeah, I I do think so. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I think in the next couple of episodes we'll be told a lot, but I really, really do think that. Yeah, basically then Derek, you know, has to kill page uh, I don't I didn't really see how he did it. He either broke her neck or like stabbed her through the back. I, I couldn't work it out. And I think
1: he broke something because I, I think I heard like a crack and she died pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's when Peter explains that she he took Paige's body away into the woods where she'd be found as another random death, you know, in in Beacon Hills and then tells Stiles that killing an innocent takes a piece of the werewolf's soul, um, like the quote you said at the beginning, that it shows up in the eyes, uh, turning uh, you know, their werewolf form eyes from sort of a warm gold to a cold blue before becoming red as an alpha. And so this is the answer to the werewolf eye colour. It's basically gold for a nice, good, innocent werewolf who has not done any killings. Um I mean, taking the life of an innocent. How do they? Is that just like killing anyone, or is that like how do they know? How does how how what do you think like you know?
1: How does the universe know somebody's innocent or not?
0: Yeah, because like for example, Jackson killed. I mean, he killed a bunch of people who are innocent. But Jackson, whose eye we also see, her eyes are blue. So Jeff must have known this for a while, obviously. But um, we we know that he knew this when he did Jackson as well, but. You know, say say Jackson killed, like, Mr. Leahy, right? Because he did. Mr. Leahy was not an innocent. I mean, he'd never personally done something to Jackson, but he was not an innocent, you know? So would it count if, like, what kind of deaths count here?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm wondering if it was, because basically with Jackson, we know that he was killing those people Per Matt's orders, and mm-hmm. it was sort of like an okay thing because the whole thing about the cannabis was it was Matt's fury, it was to get revenge. So he got revenge on the people that were guilty. So I don't necessarily think that those counted as the innocents, but when Jackson, when Matt had Jackson start killing the other people, like the officers in the sheriff's station, mm-hmm. who had nothing to do with. Matt's revenge I think that might have been where the blue eyes came from
0: yeah that could be as well I mean but some of the people Matt deemed as guilty were not like the girl at the like the, the girl who ran the club you know who was at the party like right. Matt's idea of what was guilty was not really normal and obviously Derek's killing of, of Paige wasn't I mean it was horrible but it wasn't like you know, cruel and evil, but his eyes still went blue. So we we don't really, maybe it's like, just if it's not in like self-defense, like if it's not in a fight, if you just kill someone outright, but I don't, Yeah, I honestly don't know. Or maybe it's like not, if it's just any human, like not another werewolf, but we don't know, I guess, but we know that that's why Derek had blue eyes. And I mean, sucks to be them. Like what a way to like show that off, you know, like, He's 15 and he's like back with his family, and it's like, Oh, you've got blue eyes now, whoops, kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's like you constant just, reminder. no way to hide that, you know, which is really sad for Derek, of course. We, not like Derek's life was sad enough as it is.
1: I know, right? It's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. But then uh, we find out that Deaton treated Deucalion's injured eyes, like, and that the tissue will grow back, that his sight wouldn't, that he wouldn't be able to see. He's very upset by this Jekalian, and the others leave, but we see basically his uh, Marco, sticks around, and and when he asks, again, like, for him to go away as well, that's when Marco attacks him, and that's the story Jekalian told about basically how he became blind and one of his betas thought he was not going to be powerful enough and tried to take his power, and he basically... Wolf's out, realizes he can kind of see as a wolf, um, like in his wolf form, and he attacks Marco and sort of grossly slashes him apart, uh, which was unpleasant. But basically, so Gerard sort of tells that to Scott and Allison that he can see in his wolf transformation. Allison is sort of the one who wonders if there's a way you can take advantage of that, and I don't know how they would take advantage of that. I mean, we don't really ever see Jekyllian transform. I mean, m- maybe his eyes go, but we haven't seen him wolfed out at all. So... Right. Maybe it's very hard for him to do it, or I, I don't know, but... Yeah, that Marco creature was fairly unpleasant, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he was pretty bold for being a beta, but when we learned that he was going to be in the show, that was one of his, you know, personality traits. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't surprised that he was so forward. But it was nice to finally see in front of us, instead of, like, just from a story, what exactly happened to Deucalion and how he realized that killing your beta means that you become more powerful.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's just a shame because he was a very good alpha and werewolf and human being before that, and I don't know if it was just yeah. the losing his sight or if it was the fact that, like, this, you know, jerk-off beta kind of tried to attack him as soon as, as he, like, you know, that if a pack is, like, you know, a family and, like, more than a family, that that, that the beta would try and do that to him kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, and it makes you worry about Derek because I mean, technically he's killed Boyd. It was against his will, but who knows? You know, if he got the extra juice from Boyd now that he's dead, if that's going to change Derek's personality at all?
0: I mean, the one thing as well, yeah. I mean, we we obviously don't know where the hell Derek is or you know how what he's going through right now. But the one thing that interested me to go back to Gerard was you know how we're like oh Gerard is never going to be any better there's never going to be any sympathy for him he says that one thing at the end and he's like I wonder when it became my nature to believe that most things can't be asked for but have to be taken like how did I become this terrible person and that was the one moment I was where I was like are you serious but then yeah exactly Scott kind of was like yeah no and says that he thinks that Gerard was lying and he basically full on threatens him and says that he, if he's lied and that his lies get anyone hurt, Scott will be back to take away more than his pain and kind of full on threatens him in a very controlling way, which a lot of people really enjoyed, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just can't be doing it with Gerard. Like I don't understand what his aim is. And, but like, does he really think trying to play like the sympathy card of like, Oh, how did I become like this, is going to work with Scott and Allison?
1: I think that he thought it would work with Scott, because given Scott's past history of forgiving a lot of people and having such a big heart, I think, yeah, I think Gerard thought he could get away with it, and I loved how Scott just shut him down. And you could see in Gerard's face, he was like, crap, that he didn't wasn't work. Expe- right? Yeah, he
0: wasn't quite expecting yeah. it. Yeah, no, so I agree. It was,
1: it was interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm I enjoyed it basically. I'm glad that Scott is not actually being as compassionate as he once was. So, <laughs> yeah. And then I mean, so we have him and then and then, you know, saying that he thinks he's lying and then flip right back to Styles also basically saying I don't quite believe it. Like he actually out funnily enough references Miss Blake's first class. Someone asked um on the Tumblr or Twitter last week like I think there's a significance to the fact that, you know, Miss Blake's class was introduced and reading Heart of Darkness. I think that there's a reason behind this and I don't know what it is. And, I mean, they reference it in this week's episode. They say um, that the narrator, like, in the class, that the narrator on um, Marlow is, is considered, like, in literature, an unreliable narrator. Um, he's telling it from his perspective which might or might not be what actually happened and that Styles suspects this with Peter. I mean, that is the whole, you know, moment in which Cora's all like sort of her weird version of affection, like sort of asking about what's wrong with Styles. And she says, Are you gonna ask Derek what happened then? Um, and Styles says, If I have to, which that scene is gonna be if that if we see that scene between Styles and Derek, that is going to be horrible. Like Derek's either going to punch him through the wall, or Styles <laughs> is going to or Styles is going to approach it very sensitively, and like Derek is going to have a breakdown on him. And I'm just not prepared for either of those things. Yeah. Like
1: <laughs> me neither. What you were saying before about the unreliable narrator, that's a good segue into our feedback section where we have a piece of feedback from Twitter from Leah Rao. And she says, I'm extremely confused and feel like Styles' unreliable narrator speech was a huge clue, but who knows what it means exactly. And I actually feel the exact same way. They spent this whole time talking about this story and we had basically two unreliable narrators and if that's not an in-your-face clue i don't know what is but again like she said i can't bridge the gap between the clue and like what it could lead to
0: yeah i mean unless it's sort of a clue into that the entire season has been some sort of lie or unreliable narration like like that the entire season has been someone's I don't know, like hallucination, or like all of the weird parallels, like that it it, it it's it's sometimes at moments feels a bit like, you know, someone's like pieced together like memories, sort of from a dream or something, and like you know, it's a little bit like at the end of Doctor Who, at the end, you know, with the with Clara, like the end of the last season, which I presume you've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And how all of those different versions of her have aspects of the real Clara because the real Clara was like just sort of spewed out across history, and like there's always the same, you know, versions of her, like, you know, her souffles and her red dresses and her, um, you know, looking after children and stuff. And it, but like completely different versions of it. And it feels like maybe like someone's taken like little bits of this season feel like someone's taken bits and pieces of the real past and sort of mashed them up and made a new version of them, and I I don't know what that could mean, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting concept, and I don't know if I would be really disappointed or think, wow, that was, you know, a really awesome twist to the whole season, but Mm -hmm. we'll just have to wait and see. Our next piece of feedback is from Lottie, and they basically say, I also suspect Paige is Jennifer and the Draug. Looking back at the last episodes, all victims were killed by techniques that required minimum body strength. And they sort of go on, but I wanted to plug in this other person, Zio, who said, I've heard theories that Paige might be Jennifer. It might be supported by the fact that Paige died beneath the Druid tree, and we've seen Lydia sketching a tree absentmindedly twice now and you know for you guys that have been around for a while you know how much I don't want Jennifer to be evil and for her to be the drac but this is really interesting and I wanted to know if you thought that this could be possible or if you think this is stretching it a little bit
0: well I think it's definitely possible that she's Paige to start with I I just don't know why she wouldn't I don't know why she'd have this new identity and everything like that unless she doesn't remember being Paige because, like, I feel like that, yeah, since she died beneath that druid tree, um, I don't know if her death, like, counted as a sacrifice or if it was able to be brought back in some way if someone took her away and changed her identity because, I mean, it it is just the actress, but, you know, Paige had that, like, freckle beneath her eye that obviously Jennifer doesn't happen, but, like doesn't have, but, like, if she was purposely trying to have a new identity or someone, get, you know, the first thing you would be to do is, like, to get that removed in order to not have any identifying marks, so... Right, or
1: I was thinking she could have been, like, reincarnated or something, I mean, it, yeah. it would have been, she could have been in a whole new body or something yeah. like that. Yeah,
0: I mean, people are saying that she looks extremely similar to Jennifer, like, like, that that a lot of things about her that she could definitely pass for a younger version of Hayley Webb, but I don't know about her being that, like her being the Dirac is one of the only reasons I could think of her not revealing herself as Paige unless she doesn't know she's Paige. If you know what I mean, like if she doesn't right. if she doesn't know that she's Paige that then and, but she's like drawn back to Beacon Hills for some reason that she doesn't really understand, then that's one thing. But then if she knows she's Paige and she's like, re, you know, reincarnated as like something like totally weird, like that her body woke up as like some sort of druid god or something, and and that she is the Derak now, you know, that would be obviously a reason not to reveal that she's Paige. I mean, I'm, if she is, I'm surprised Derek didn't recognize her, but then again, maybe he did. Maybe she, maybe he knew that she. Again, Buffy reference, but maybe it's like, have you seen eight Have you seen all of Angel or or? Buffy just Buffy?
1: No, I haven't, actually. Okay. I've seen a good portion of Angel, but not all of it.
0: Okay, well, I don't know, this may or may not make sense, but it will make sense to some listeners, but maybe it's like Fred turning into Illyria, like that oh, right, she, yeah. and maybe Derek knows that this happened in some way, like, and that, you know, so he lost the girl that he loved, even though she came back to life, if you know what I mean. And that, but I honestly don't know. I think that I think that out of like Paige to Jennifer to Derak, one of those things is right. Like that, Paige is Jennifer, or Jennifer is the Durak, or Paige is the Dirac. You know, it may be all three, but that one of the connections is correct.
1: Yeah, I think that's more than possible.
0: Obviously, we already discussed as well the the very final scene of the episode where Talia talks to Derek at the um at the uh special tree and. And, you know, apparently she knows about everything that's happened and, you know, that she did a bad, that he did a bad thing and that she still comforts him and it was just so sad. He needs his mum. He's so pathetically depressed and I just can't handle it anymore. Because at the very end we see him as an adult and we he returns and he basically sort of, they use that thematic music like the cello music, Ave Maria that she was playing on the cello all through the episode and he kind of is in that they play that music again and he's in that distillery and he looks at the revenge spiral. And so we don't know what he knows or what he doesn't know, but we know that he's like ran away off there to to cry about Boyd and Paige and probably everyone else that he's caused to be dead. So the only other thing I guess, like that's sort of the end of the episode, but these, this episode just brought up a lot of things, um, like, made a lot of people remember a lot of things that Derek has said in the past that are just so much sadder or more horrible now, which is fun for everyone. But, yeah, I just wanted to just mention a couple of those before we go. You know, one of them was basically, you know, Derek going in and talking to Peter in the coma, like, if that was his BFF forever, like, that kind of means a lot more now. And that Derek always giving all of the betas that he bite you know, bit like a choice and that, you know, Scott yell at, yelling at Scott like that the bite is a gift because Scott got the bite and lived and that Ber- Derek's probably really bitter about that. And even potentially Kate going after Derek because um, he had blue eyes. So for all she know, knew, she wasn't breaking the code that, you know, she saw this young werewolf that had potentially killed an innocent, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. It's so sad. And... And also that whole scene of Derek at one point, like, breaking down and yelling at Scott, like, you're not in love, you're 16, you're a child. Like, a lot of people at the time tied that back to him believing that, you know, oh, Derek was in love with Kate, you know, like he believed that he was in love with Kate and it screwed him over. But now we know this. And we also, you know, I want to know how Kate tied in and how soon afterwards everything happened with Kate because – If he loved Paige, like, was he in some sort of, like, grief or was he like, you know, what what happened exactly to make him start getting together with Kate is what I want to know as well.
1: This episode, I thought we were going to see a little bit of the fire or some of the events leading up to it. I could have, you know, I would have sworn that we would have been seeing Kate. And we didn't see any of that, so it was interesting. I mean, not that I mind, because I'm glad that the focus is more, like, on Paige, because she was such a wonderful character. But, I'm, yeah, it makes me even more curious about Kate and how she fits into everything.
0: Yeah, and it just, yeah, that whole thing about him, like, yelling at Scott that you're, like, a child, you're not really in love is just, like, oh, so much repression, Derek, so much repression. It's really... Really, really sad. And then my last thing is just about that um, that tree, like the, you know, and what they said about, you know, those sacrifice trees, like, if, you know, cutting them down or disturbing them could cause all of these, like, problems. Like, I'm just wondering if that aspect will come into it, like, as well. Right. Um, oh, I really liked – I just wanted to read out this one ask that we got as well. So, um, basically, someone – faulty Feminist follows us on Tumblr. They've just said – so, basically, nearly everything that has happened in all three seasons can be traced back to Gerard being a douche. No Gerard equals no Kate, no Fire, no Psycho Peter. And no Gerard equals no Alpha Derek, no canema, No Gerard equals no Alpha Pack. Damn it, Gerard. So, like how you said, like, Gerard being, like, the crux of all badness in Teen Wolf and, like, the worst villain we've had, I think is definitely already true.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's horrible. He's had his hand in everything, which is kind of amazing if you think about it, because a lot of, you know, like they were saying, the Kanima and Derek and Kate, you know, everything through all three seasons, he's related to it somehow, and that's why I don't think that he's redeemable, because he's just, he's so evil.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Oh, and the last last little thing as well in regards to that, saying Ducalion's behaviour in the episode before Gerard blinds him is important. He's patient, rational, and favours peace above all measures. Knowing this, it seems highly unlikely that he attacked Alexander Argent in the 1970s, which leaves the question, who did attack him and why did Gerard lie about it? So, you know, um, Gerard told Chris that Dukalian was the one that bit Alexander Argent, and we don't know if that's true now or not. Like it it could have been true. It could have been in, you know, a self-defense or something like that, self-preservation. But, and that would have been before Jekyllian was blinded by Gerard. Like if, if, you know, this happened in potentially the nineties or the two thousands, you know, it wasn't like the seventies, like Derek's not that old. (laughs) Um, And so what did you reckon about, like about that?
1: Yeah, I saw that too and it was something that I hadn't even thought of but it Neither. makes a lot of sense and I think that you know it just again Gerard I mean I don't trust anything that comes out of his mouth even when something makes sense and you think okay yeah Duke like that Alexander, bit, Alexander Argent Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense and yet I we don't know if it's true now, so...
0: Yeah, basically Gerard is still the most evil. Um, I don't think we have any question about that anymore. In that case, we will go for now. We are going to be recording some more episodes this week. Hopefully the release process will be um, spread out enough uh, that it isn't bombarding you, but close enough together that it doesn't become irrelevant We're going to record a bite-size about Comic-Con and then our interview with Hayley Webb coming up as well. We'll be recording those uh, probably by the time you hear this, we will have been recording it, but we have been taking questions for Hayley on Tumblr and Twitter. We've got so many fan questions as well as some of our own, Um, so that's going to be really exciting. Um, We'll add in some questions about a few theories tonight. We, We probably can't ask her to outright tell us what happens at the end of the season, but I'm not adverse to being like, so this is a theory. Any comments about this? (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, in the meantime, you've got this episode, obviously, to listen to, and over the next week we will hopefully have all of those episodes for you um, about Comic-Con news and Karen's experiences and then talking to Hayley. So that's cool. And I guess we will see you in a few days or something like that. So, Karen, it's very, very late for you, and you're very, very sick, so you better say goodbye to the nice people. <laughs> yes. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye, all. We'll see you soon. And, yes, things are getting real on, on Teen Wolf now. I think I said that a few episodes ago, but they're really – I can't even work out how they're going to, like, conclude this plot within four episodes. Like, I'm just like, I can't, can't even handle it. Anyway, yeah, so bye, and – Yeah, see you.
1: Bye.
0: (laughs) You know, if Peter's her sister, uh, Peter's not anyone's sister, Uh, sorry. If Peter was her, (laughs) sorry, we see sort of Derek run away to his little hidey hole under his druid tree with Cora. Uh, Sorry, I keep calling her Cora, and it's definitely not Cora because that would be weird, with Paige. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, you see? Yeah. We're we're not going to go there. Uh, Do I sound okay now? It's a little bit blurpy. A little bit what? Blurpy, like it's going blah, blah, blah. Um, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>